Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. It is 1230 at night, and it is Sunday, and I'm recording this podcast intro after a really cool day. It was the fourth Sunday in June, which means it was the fourth weekend in June, and it was our fourth Pride event, and it was the best one yet. Um, The event was super duper crowded. I think we gave away about a thousand stickers. Uh, People really seemed to love them, plus most of them had either our Instagram branding on it or our website, so I think we really got uh, a good word out there and um, represented uh, Christians at a Pride event, which is always like... I mean, it's, we've, we've got a bad name, unfortunately, and <clears throat> we're working against a bad reputation and we take it very serious that we are out there trying to kind of um, right some wrongs and give Christianity a better reputation at these events. And I think it went really well. Uh, thank you if you were a part of it in any way. And if you were able to come out, that's awesome. If not, hey always next year. (laughs) Uh, Before we jump into Hannah's message today, we just have a couple of announcements. Number one, we have an event coming up that we are excited about. We are going to be hanging out at Dog Bar in St. Pete. It is on July 17th. Uh, Keep an eye on our social media so that you can get the exact times. And special note, it is not kid-friendly. They, they don't do kids at the dog bar. So uh, we are, we'll be doing another event in August that the kids can absolutely come to. So they'll sit the one out in July. Again, July 17th, that is dog bar. Also, make sure you're following our social media because we are going to be doing some summer small groups. We're going to have kind of a little short um, semester of small groups. Uh we weren't sure whether we were going to do it or not, and everybody who did them last time really wanted to keep it going. So we're going to keep it going. Right, just keep an eye on social media. We'll give you some dates on when you can sign up for that. Um, go to diff.church on your phone. We would love to get some feedback from you on how you heard about us, uh, what you think we're doing really well, what you think we could do better. Um, or just questions or ways we can pray for you. Uh, we would just love to kind of connect and interact and be virtual friends. And for sure, make sure you're on the mailing list. You can take care of that when you're at div.church. Okay, that is a lot of announcements. Uh, today's message from Hannah, I'm calling it, She's Not Dead, She's Asleep. And I just gave you a ton of announcements, so... I suppose we should talk about Jesus. That's why we're here, Right. So our passage is a little bit longer than normal this morning. It's 20 verses from the book of Mark in the New Testament. And it's a story inside of a story. So it starts with Jesus encountering this man named Jairus, whose daughter is ill. And this is where we pick up in Mark chapter 5, verses 21. You can follow along on the screen, and we're going to read the whole thing. And then we shall discuss. Verse 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her to heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she got worse. She heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. 
It's not creepy at all. For she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of this terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd, Jesus. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who did it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And they told him, your daughter is dead. It's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, have faith. So Jesus stopped the crowd, wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and said, why all this commotion? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And he, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And Jesus told them to tell no one and then told them to give her something to eat. I think this is a fascinating story about Jesus. Has it, have any of you heard this story before? Okay, cool. So we encounter Jairus. He's very official. He's very like VIP person in the synagogue. He's basically the Hannah of the local synagogue. <laughs> He's got all this authority and influence in the society, but his 12-year-old baby girl is sick. And the, the text says he falls down at Jesus' feet, like begging him fervently, like repeatedly, over and over. And Jesus, he's like, please, like Jesus. He's like yanking on his ankles, I imagine. And Jesus is like, fine, fine. You're making a scene, bro. Um, and so they start moving toward Jairus's house, but there's this whole crowd of people following them because Jesus is followed around everywhere he goes by like a thousand people at all times now, which is, sounds to me like the most annoying thing on the planet. Jesus can't do anything without a crowd of people following him. So all of these people are with him. They're just like, oh, well, Jairus's house. Well, we're also going to Jairus's house. That's where Jesus is going. We're going. And then suddenly this whole procession is interrupted by a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. The same amount of time this little girl has been alive. She just like gets her fingertips on Jesus' robe. And she's like, ooh, healed. I feel it. Jesus is like, ooh, I felt that too. <laughs> and stops the whole show. He's like, who touched me? And his disciples are like, okay, Jesus, <laughs> you are in a crowd of people. Probably 20 people touched you, first of all. I know you're God and all, but can you not ask stupid questions? <laughs> probably 20 people touched you. I don't know. And Jesus is like, no, somebody touched me, and I want to know who touched me. And I, can you imagine Jairus being like, he's supposed to be healing. My daughter is dying. And Jesus is like, who touched me? And so this woman, Jesus apparently persists long enough that this woman is like, oh, okay, I have to tell him. He's not going to give up. So she comes forward. She falls at his feet. He's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Like, I did it. It's my fault. And she's thinking Jesus is going to be mad at her, yell at her. We'll get to those reasons in a minute. But Jesus is like, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. But then, tragedy. 
some messengers come and they're like, Jairus, Jesus took way too long talking to this lady in the crowd. Your daughter's dead now. Sorry. Can you, I just imagine, because I, like, I have a little baby now. Can you imagine? Jairus is like, this lady, like if she had not touched Jesus, then we would have been in my house already and my daughter would not be dead and I can't believe this is happening and like this is insane. Jesus took too long looking for this nobody person in a crowd. And Jesus is just completely unfazed. He's like, oh, don't worry. She's just sleeping. Okay. So they go, they see his daughter. And then Jesus is like, get up. And she pops right up. And then my favorite line of the whole story, give her some food. Because when you recover from dying, you need snacks. Yes. (laughs) Like what a weird roller coaster of a story. It seems like a random narrative about Jesus going to heal one person and getting interrupted and healing that person and then continuing on. But it's so much more than that, right? Because we know that Jairus is this VIP in the local community. He was a leader of the synagogue. He had plenty of resources. He had plenty of money. He had plenty of power. He was greatly respected by everyone. He had privilege and he was a guy. So bonus points for that. And this poor person Jesus encounters in the crowd is the exact opposite of him. She's poor, she's sick, she has no money, no status, no privilege, and negative points for her, she's a lady. She's been bleeding for 12 years straight. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you have probably heard this referred to as the woman with the issue of blood. Have anyone heard that? Or um, like... The translation we just read, she suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. That sounds terrible, but, you know, pretty nice, right? I don't think this really gets to the heart of the matter. Why is this such a big deal? What is going on with this woman? So essentially, she's been menstruating for 12 years straight. But the Bible says it was an issue of blood. Yeah, because the Bible was written down by dudes. (laughs) And mostly translated by dudes. Um, I personally, I'm going to get on a soapbox. I do not think menstruation needs to be hidden or sugarcoated or a topic that needs to be danced around. Okay. Half of the human population menstruates and without it, human life will cease to exist. Okay. So you're all here because of a menstruating person is nothing to be ashamed of, but the ritual codes of the day. And I would argue still today, sometimes said this woman is unclean. Normally, I guess that's annoying, right? Like, oh, this period of time, I'm unclean, fine. And then it's over, and then you go back to your normal life. She couldn't go back to her normal life for 12 years. And she's been ritually unclean, not accepted in normal society for 12 years, and very likely in constant pain. Like any person who menstruates knows it's not like a great experience. 12 years, this poor lady. And nobody can help her. She has... She has spent every dime she has gotten for 12 years being like, somebody, please fix this problem. And nobody can fix it. She is desperate. She is actually desperate enough to go into a crowd of people where she does not belong and try to touch Jesus. But she's like sneaking through the crowd, probably with like something over her head, right? Anyone who bumps into her by mistake is gonna be unclean. Anyone who recognizes her from the town as that lady is gonna like yell at her and make her leave the crowd. And she just like barely gets her fingertips on Jesus' robe, healed. And what she would like to do is sneak back out. And nobody knows, no big deal. 
No one will punish her, right? So you can imagine what the crowd might do if, like, they're obsessed with Jesus. And this unclean lady just made Jesus unclean. He knows something happens. And he's like, oh, I am not proceeding any further until I find out who touched me. And so she, like, falls at his feet. Can you imagine the courage that it would take in a crowd of people to be like, I'm the one who touched you? They could have easily just been like, how dare you touch Jesus? <gasps> Kick her out or something much worse, right? But he has, he's not even upset. Jesus is like, oh, not upset with you. Your suffering is over. Go in peace. And Jairus just probably like the most offended person on the planet at that moment. Like just speechless, flabbergasted, insert other shocking words. How could Jesus stop and dedicate time to this disgusting woman when my daughter is dying? And here we run into one of the key themes of this story, which is that in the kingdom of God, the needs of the marginalized people and the oppressed people and the vulnerable people is addressed before the needs of celebrated people and people with power and people with influence. This lady was barred by law from re-entering her community. But Jesus is very clear. In God's kingdom, people on the fringes of society get priority. People who have been rejected and abused and harmed and cast out, they get Jesus' attention first. He will stop a procession of everyone to find this one person who needed him. And I think this sometimes can be like a fundamental shift in how we view the gospel because, or at least how the gospel is applied in our society, because it often seems like the people who get the best gospel are the ones with the most resources, or the people who get the most inclusion and the most acceptance are the ones who are already included. <laughs> and already accepted. But in the middle of scripture, we have this story of Jesus stopping everything to end the suffering of one person whose society is like, why? She's a garbage person. We don't need her. Now, I think sometimes we can get this passage wrong because we like to stop there. We're like, oh yes, Jesus will address the needs of the marginalized people before everyone else. Full stop. We are not Jairus in this story. Never. We couldn't be. We go off on rants about how, you know, like rich and powerful people just need to give away all of their wealth and they need to really check themselves before they wreck themselves because God is about to tell them a new thing, okay? As if we're ones to talk. But the story keeps going because Jesus ends this lady's suffering and then he continues on to Jairus's house and still heals his daughter. He heals this lady and then he heals the little girl. And the point of the story is not just that the woman is important to God and that God will heal her and restore her to community. It's also that in God's kingdom, there is enough for everyone. It's not a competition. The woman is healed and the little girl is healed. The woman gets her issue fixed first, but there's not, it's not like a quota. Jesus isn't like, well, I did my healing for the day. See ya. Sorry about your dead daughter. Gotta go. This crowd's really irritating me. No. 
He cares just as much about the woman in the crowd who has nothing as he does about the little girl who was born into the most wealth and the most status. She's just as important to him. She had to wait just a little longer for Jesus to arrive, but there was enough for her too. There's not a competition for resources. When it comes to God, there is enough for everyone. And the story is not just about the healing of bodies. So healing matters, but the healing of this poor woman serves one distinct purpose, to restore her to the community that she had lost. And we find this over and over and over again in scripture. The healing that Jesus provides or that God provides is to restore people into community, not just to help their physical bodies. Because if you look at this, the community, in this case, the Jewish community, that Jairus was a leader in, they had rules that said this woman was unclean and could not participate. Couldn't be around them, couldn't have any physical contact. Maybe that has a different meaning for us now after we went like a year without having physical contact with anyone. I went... I, the first Saturday of Pride, someone shook my hand. It was so weird. It's been a year. It's been over a year since someone shook my hand. And I was like, oh. I felt like, have you guys seen the TV show Monk? I wanted to be like, wipe. But it was fine. <laughs> it was totally fine. But for a year, like, there are people who weren't, had no physical contact, no hugs, no, like, touch on the shoulder, no, no. For a year, can you imagine for 12 years, this lady has not had any physical contact with anyone. And Jairus is the representative of the rules that say she cannot belong. And Jesus doesn't care. He just removes the barrier for her to be in community. He is not upset that she touched his robe in the slightest. In fact, he calls her daughter. He speaks gently to her. He reaffirms that she belongs in the family. Side note, does she want to be in the family? I feel like after 12 years, I would be like, mm -hmm. At the same time, though, she has no resources. So she needs the community back desperately. And that's what Jesus gave her, the ability to have a whole, complete, like, thriving life. And because it's pride, like... This passage really made me start reflecting on, like, the AIDS epidemic and our LGBT family members who were affected by that and who are still affected by that and how similar this seems. Because people with AIDS were effectively shunned by society. Not just Christian society, all society. But more specifically, Christian people, the faith community, right? They're viewed just like this woman, as unclean, is somehow dangerous, no physical contact, put outside the community. And there's a few courageous people of faith who were like, this is wrong. We're not bothered by the physical touch of a person who is ill. And called them daughter and son and beloved and spoke gently to them and cared for them. The way Jesus shows us we should act. And I think the band can come back up. But I think this narrative gives us so many things because it teaches us that the, anybody that we look down on for any reason, those people have priority to Jesus. Jesus cares so much about them, in fact. He'll actually pause what he's doing and tend to their needs 
and have relationship with them. It teaches us that what is clean and unclean is not up to us. I would like it to be up to us. It would be much easier if everything fit into our tiny little boxes and we were like, oh yes, this is acceptable. Like, this is a waffle. I pried yesterday, they had a waffle truck. That's why waffles are in my mind. I did not get one. I regret this. Be like, here's all the little squares that people fit in and this is what's fine. But actually, it's more like spaghetti. What's clean and what's unclean is not up to us. Acts 11.9 says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And our acceptance and love of others is not based on what the rules tell us. It's based on how Jesus acts. And Jesus was not upset by this person. He said, your suffering is over. I think this passage teaches us that in God's kingdom, there's enough for everybody. There is no shortage of resources. There's no competition. There's no, if that person belongs, well, then it kicks me out. In Revelation, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible, I know everyone gets heebie-jeebies about Revelation, but I love it. (laughs) We have this amazing image of the throne room of God, and it's filled, like, with so many people, you can't even count them, made up of every race and language and ethnicity and nationality, and I would also add made up of every culture and socioeconomic status and sexuality and age and gender identity. All people who are loved by God to who Jesus has said, your suffering is over. Welcome home. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. The Bible also says we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So what's Hebrews talking about? Us. We are the substance of things that hurting people hope for. We are the evidence of healing. We are the proof of life. We are the proof of God. And sometimes we get so caught up in who's in and who's out and what's clean and what's unclean and who, and who touched Jesus when Jesus could clearly be attending to my problem. instead of joining in this miraculous community of faith and welcoming people in and getting to like say the words that Jesus said with our mouths and with our lives and with how we live every day to say with Jesus, your suffering is over. Welcome home. Maybe we can't physically heal someone, but we can say welcome home. Maybe we can be alongside them. Maybe we can be alongside someone. (laughs) Jarrett. (laughs) If you're listening on the podcast, (laughs) I was getting a very good, okay? (laughs) What a privilege to say, your suffering is over, welcome home. And I'm sure we all have a moment in our life where somebody said that to us in some form where we felt like we were alone, 
We felt like we were out of the community. We felt like nobody would understand us. We felt like nobody could possibly know what we're going through. Whether it's physically or mentally or spiritually, we felt alone. And like everyone else had it together except us. And if people really knew what was going on, then they would be like, no, don't touch me. But somebody said to you, welcome home. You belong. We get to do that to other people. What a gift to celebrate life. What a gift to attend to the needs of marginalized and oppressed people and to the needs of people who have everything and yet find that they still lack a space to just be. We have two more songs, and then I'll come back and give you a benediction. Um, I just invite you to stand, and we're going to pray. And then I'll let Gianna take it away because she's fabulous. God, thank you for allowing us to see where we have blinders in our own lives. Thank you for never casting us out of community, no matter what other people have faith have said to us. Somehow you have never left. You have always been with open arms saying, welcome home. Your suffering is over. And maybe it doesn't feel like our suffering is over, but every morning you say again, your suffering is over. We're so grateful. May we, may you empower us to give that same message to other people, not just on Sunday morning, but on every day of the week, in every moment of our lives. And when we're too busy and too self-absorbed and too distracted, when we're gyrus or we're just a person in the crowd, remind us that you stop everything for us. And we should stop everything for each other.